Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And as a lot of the newspapers are saying, what a difference a year makes. We are having the hottest February in nearly 60 years. And today marks the first anniversary of the arrival of the beast from the east. It is hard to believe that one year ago today, there was people rushing around supermarkets and shops and the shelves were being cleared of bread and milk. They couldn't keep the bread in stock. We were all bracing ourselves for this beast from the east, which was an an Arctic blast that brought snow up to a metre deep in some areas and the temperatures went as low as minus 10 degrees uh, Celsius. Evelyn Cusack from Met Aaron at the time was saying that it was very exceptional. It wasn't normal at the time for this mass of black clouds which were making their way across the Irish Sea. There was an unusual calm in the hours before the storm which would have been this day uh, last year and the government were on the uh, on the TV and they were making no attempts at all to downplay the seriousness of this potential storm that was going to hit the, the country and the message was, you know, don't go out. You know, it wasn't even if the journey is absolutely necessary. They were just telling everyone stay indoors and not since 1982 had we been struck with a storm of the force that we received this day uh, last year. Met Aaron issued, it was a status red warning. Well, it virtually brought the country to a standstill. All the schools were closed, um, aircrafts were grounded, there was no buses running, there was no trains uh, running. Most people took the day off or got the day off work. Businesses uh, closed, electricity lines uh, were down. It really was an incredible day. And while that is go- was going on this day last year, you know, here we go, jump on a year. And what are we looking at? Mercury levels that have hit a record high in the Midlands at 17.4 degrees was what they reached during the week. It's the hottest February since 1960 and the only time it was warmer you have to go back 100 years when the Phoenix Park recorded an 18.1 degree uh, and while we've all been enjoying this wonderful, wonderful spring weather I hate to tell you we're back to uh, normal service will resume next week. It'll be business as usual. Tomorrow is the first day of March and early March Saturday we can expect gale force winds squally showers there's going to be hail and then the early days of next week are going to see unsettled weather and they're even predicting some frosty nights so it is is it March comes in comes in like a lion and out like a lamb isn't that March or is that May 
I'm confused. Anyway, we're certainly it is going to come in like a line on Saturday with those squally showers and the thought of having frosty nights. 1850 Today seems to be probably the last day of this relatively nice weather, even though the temperature's down a little bit. Even though 13 degrees, I'll take 13 degrees. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, we're going to hear a call to local authorities to deal with derelict buildings. Uh, and this is an issue. I, I, I take it that there isn't anybody listening to us across Cork County, that there isn't a town or a village that doesn't have at least one, probably people would say, and many more derelict buildings. What powers do the local authorities have when it comes to these derelict buildings? I always feel for businesses trying to do business and they could be squashed in the middle on either side, derelict buildings, and you can get an area of of a town that will have a lot of derelict buildings and then there'll be a couple of businesses trying to keep going in the middle of it. I mean, and derelict buildings, you know, when you see the derelict buildings, it isn't very inviting for you to go and do any shopping uh, in that area. And a lot of them seem to be on our main streets. Now, people will say, well, planners have a lot to answer for when we built these large supermarkets and these large um, shopping centres outside of town. We pushed people outside of town and that then saw nothing happening in the centre of our towns and villages and because of that a lot of the buildings became derelict. But if there are derelict buildings what powers do the local authorities have? Can they go after the owners? And if the owners aren't in a position to do up the buildings can there be compulsory purchase orders? Is there a fund that the local authority can use to do up these uh, buildings? And when you think of the housing shortage and the number of people I mean there's a piece in the paper today talking about we have now a record number of people who are officially classed as homeless and yet we're talking about derelict buildings could any of these buildings for example be used for housing I mean on main streets once upon a time when we had thriving main streets through our villages and towns families lived over many of them with the business owners and they lived over the businesses so that means I mean there is housing there are apartments over a lot of these businesses could they be done up could they be used could we get people off the housing waiting list could we get people out of homelessness and put them in uh, to these buildings so we're going to talk about that today but I would be interested to hear uh, are, do you live in an area is there a particular street are you living in a town or village that is particularly bad when it comes to derelict buildings have you ever counted the number of ter- derelict buildings in the town where you live we're going to preview a fundraising cap auction which is happening in Corin Mart on Saturday we're encouraging people to go along there and then last night was the last night of Operation Transformation and it's always a lovely episode because we get to see all of the leaders take to the cash walk all five of them take to the cash walk and we sort of marvel at how far these people have come from day one and then for eight weeks they go on this intense journey where they bear their soul to the nation because they're followed by uh, cameras and they really, really do open up and they really show their vulnerabilities. And I know there's often been the argument about Operation Transformation in making them do the weigh-in in Lycra. People see it as uh, body shaming. And I remember talking to a doctor one day about it back a number of years ago, back in the early days of Operation Transformation. And while he thought the concept of the programme was great and brilliant to get the nation involved and get everybody and showing 
showing everyone you can lose weight. He had a huge problem about making these people come out in lycra. There's other ways you could dress them. He was saying, you know, you could put them in track suits or whatever. And he felt it was a bit of body uh, shaming that was going on. But I saw Carl Henry say one of the reasons for it is, is to let people identify with them so you can look at somebody and say, that's my body shape. That's the way I look when I stand in front of a mirror. And therefore, if you want to follow the Operation Transformation programme, you'll know which leader is the ideal one for you to follow. Is that a good enough reason, though, to put the leaders into Lycra? Anyway, it was far from Lycra. They were in last night. They were all really suited and booted and looking stunning. And Pamela Swain from Yall, she's the Operation Transformation leader, the only one that was selected. There's usually We usually get one from Cork. So she was flying the flag for us this year and we've been following her journey. So we've invited her back onto the programme today just to have a look back on the journey and what the eight weeks were like and the highs and the lows for her. And she did remarkably well and she looked absolutely stunning in that royal blue dress last night if you were were, uh, watching it. Uh, We'll have a member from Garda Corner join us for this week's uh, Crime File. And also Jane Pickett will join us in the final hour of the programme answering all of your pet questions. Your calls and comments welcomed throughout the morning. This is the Court Today replay on C103. If you are a fan of Hall & Oates, good news. It's just been announced that Hall & Oates are going to be playing live at the Marquee on the 8th of July. That's the first time Hall & Oates have played Live at the Marquee, isn't it? That's going to be a great gig. So if you are a fan, I can tell you tickets are going on sale next Thursday, the 7th of March at uh, nine o'clock. Ticket price is €69.50. I imagine they're the seated ones and then the general admission is at €50. But the date for the whole notes uh, concert live at the Marquee is the 8th of uh, July. Your thoughts, please, on patients should be, should patients be allowed to ask for the removal of a religious symbol, be that a crucifix or a statue? Should they the patients be allowed if they're in a hospital room, in a hospital ward run by a Catholic church so you know going in it's run by the Catholic church. Should patients be asked that if they're uncomfortable with the religious icon, the crucifix, whatever, should they be allowed to remove it? Well that's what's being put forward on an independent review of voluntary organisations. It insists that health services run by religious orders should be this is what they say, cognizant of the impact of decor on patients and strive to ensure their personal preferences are met to the greatest extent possible, i.e. they need to be aware that if somebody finds is upset by it that they, they should remove it. Now the report also raises rather much more serious questions though over whether the state should continue to fund face-bathed hospitals if they refuse to provide abortions or if they refuse to prescribe contraception. It also says there's an onus on all organisations that refuse to provide certain services based on their religious ethos that they should be they should immediately tell the patient that why they are refusing to give the particular service, but they should be able to tell them where they can go, you know, the nearest hospital that is offering the service that they are refusing to give because of the ethos. The independent review of state-funded services is calling for a major overhaul of the structures governing charities providing health services. The review group has been chaired by the former Secretary-General of the European Commission, Catherine Day, and they were asked to examine the relationship between the state and the church-run hospitals. Now, I was trying to think, how many state, how many church-run 
hospitals are there. It seems there's currently seven voluntary hospitals owned by faith-based organisation and there's a further five with some degree of religious order involvement in their governance arrangement. That's according to Philip Ryan, Ryan writing in today's Irish Independent. He's the deputy political editor. The 12 hospitals then, when you put them together, they receive 1.34 billion euro a year in funding and they're responsible for operating 26% of publicly funded inpatient beds. So there's a significant number of inpatient beds that they are responsible for, hence the reason that they get 1.34 billion euro each year. The report found that there was no difference in the quality of care provided by hospitals with a religious ethos and those with none. However, some people felt the religious ethos did affect the type of care provided. Now they don't go, they don't say exactly what what the type of care and how they felt it was affected. But some people who were interviewed for this report said they felt the religious ethos of an organisation was very apparent in its decor through the presence of chapels in all of these hospitals and that there was religious icons and there was logos and posters around the hospital. And they, they felt that, you know, well, you go into the hospital, you know it's run by a religious order, but just in case you don't, you'll very clearly be able to identify that there is a religious ethos to this particular hospital because of the decor and because there's holy pictures around the place and statues and there are uh, chapels. So this report is saying that patients, if they don't like the look of the statue or for whatever reason that's making them feel uncomfortable, that they should be in a position to have it, have it removed. Now, I don't know if anybody has asked directly for it to be removed and was, was it removed. Some hospitals, I know, many years ago took the decision so as not to offend people of different faiths. We had the famous one of the cribs inside in the hospitals, wasn't it? The family, a Muslim family of a child in a children's ward and every day when they were going in to see their daughter in the hospital, they had to pass a crib. They found the crib offensive. They asked for the crib to be removed and the crib was removed and never never went back in place. And a number of other hospitals followed suit like that when it was their attention was drawn to something by somebody from a different faith who didn't like the idea of having it. Many hospitals took the, took the decision, which to me was throwing the baby out with the bath water. I think what this report is saying, if you're in a room and there's something in the room that you don't like and you ask for it to be removed, then remove it. But then when you leave the hospital, surely that item should go back. Is it as simple as that? 1850-333-103. Martin from Cove says, myself and my wife were in the Holy Land a few years ago. There was people praying to Allah all hours of the day and night. They made no apologies, which is the right way. They shouldn't have to apologise. Why do we Irish Catholics always feel like we should be apologising for everything? And here we go again, says Martin in Cove. We're apologising yet again. And somebody else, it's the argument that always comes up when this issue gets discussed. Another listener says, it's a Catholic country. If people don't like our religion, tell them go home. If I travel to another country, I will have nothing but utmost respect for their religion and for their traditions. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Flora Gaelga, RC 103. Rogut David Bory, Erin Ochtu Law, Den Or, Nadu Gahadisha, De Sosna. Norvisha Og, Winshe Anna Hanov, Osave, Egeshokla, Elvis Presley, August Little Rich
Dorok Garev da aga hul de frul achni rev. Ni rev on tenum David Bowie inu sadge on tamer fod. Du sadge ziggy stardust in a duk shakdo do. Agus in norira ba a David Jones a anum ear. Ach dahrig she eg di David Bowie. Marvi David Jones ella partuk in some vanakyol nam the monkeys. Nervi David Kugli in Daig Dish, Husik She Bonakyol, Arvanim the Conrads. Cred no Nachred, Vishay Cardula Elton John, Nervishay Dollar Slough. Hahan Lay Horse, Gamorlesh, Augsayo, Augs Vonagavak, Duncan Jones, Club Lauer in an anor. Forshay Boss La Halsha in the anor, Goblinohin. Kyle on sale, Kyotor Untuk Amok on Lashin. Eblora Gwelga is Mishapodji de Pertun, O Gwelskal Hermosta Vishmala. CKD as a three Kirkig. Just very briefly on scam calls, a listener in Rathgormach uh, has called to say this morning they got a call from somebody purporting to be from his the visa card section to say that the card had been used twice this morning and they were checking to see had he authorised the transactions. However, when his wife asked whose name was on the visa card, they gave the husband's name. The wife then says he doesn't have a visa name visa card in his name. She obviously has one in her name but there isn't one in the husband's name the caller hung up. But when she rang the number back from caller ID it was showing an AIB number. They seem to have all avenues covered. What I would suggest to that listener is is if you are, I'm assuming you are with AIB or whatever bank you're with, contact your bank not obviously from the number that showed up on caller ID but contact them from a number that you genuinely know is your bank's number and just alert them to it just to be sure to be sure. Now local authorities must take action to deal with the scourge of derelict buildings in our towns and villages. The issue was raised this week in the Senate by Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard uh, who joins me. Good morning to you Tim. Is one of the main reasons you've raised uh, this issue to do with the collapse of the building in Oliver Plunkett Street in Bandon. Yes, look, that was probably one of the primary issues. Look, 11 weeks ago, we had an issue in Bandon where a building collapsed and number one and two, Oliver Plunkett Street in Bandon collapsed and to the state that actual street is closed. And I think there's been debate about what powers local authorities have regarding derelict buildings and derelict sites ever since. My brother Aidan would be the chair of that district and he would have several meetings with management about that issue. So I would have put a commencement debate down to the Minister for Local Government about this issue looking for clarity regarding what powers local authorities have when it comes to addressing public health and safety concerns regarding regarding dereliction and derelict sites. And I got a very comprehensive response outlining there is significant laws in place that the local authority have and significant powers. And Like what? Like we have the Derelict Site Act of 1990, which is a really significant, strong um, act, which was amended in 2018 to actually put a levy, if required by the local authority, onto a derelict site of 3 to 7% of the market value per year on a derelict site. But the real significant body of legislation that's there is the 1964 um, Sanitary Services Act under the Local Government Bill of 1964. And that gives really strong powers to local authorities to step into the space, to purchase or to get the building by arrangement. And if there is expenses on the local authority, they can levy them back to the actual landowner itself. So when it comes to actual legislation, we have a plethora of legislation that's there on the statute books that have given local authorities exceptional powers in this space. 
And I think if you go back and look 20 years ago in Cork City, we had a city manager called Joe Galvin who changed Cork City by using these derelict yeah, powers. Great guy. Really uh, powerful stuff. And do you believe, why do you believe the local authorities are not acting on the powers they have? Will they come back and say we don't have the funding? We'd love to do all of this work. If it came to the funding issue, and I had this conversation with Owen Murphy last night, Cork Benna Council and any local authority can apply for funding. Um, they're fully funded now regarding the competent staff. There's been an extra 700 staff employed in this year alone by local authorities across the country. And if there's a case to be made for funding, they need to make that case and we can push that here nationally. But I think this is going to come down to the will and to, to the ethos of the local authority. To have a street and band enclosed literally for three months now nearly at this stage, um, it's now supposed to reopen on the 11th of March. I don't believe that. I think it's going to be pushed out further. And I just think that we need to be very proactive in this space. Um, we, we were also, dear, as say, very lucky oh, that the okay. hour of the day when that accident, like, somebody could have been killed, Tim. Like this thing fell at two o'clock in the, in the night. Yeah, um, thank God. Hangy. Literally, yeah. Cork and the council moved in the evening before from Cardin off the street. Um, the building fell and everything has been safe ever since. But, like, the town and the ethos of the town has been affected since this. It doesn't look well on the town to have a street closed. And it's bad for the commerce of the town. It's bad for the for abandon itself to have other local street closed off and cordoned off like it is at the moment. But this is across, look, every town and village in Ireland. We could really say there's buildings out there like this across every town that we know in every village. But Cork and the Council and other local authorities need to be very active in this space. And I'm just questioning, are they using the powers that they have? And for what I've seen in the last 12 weeks, I question that actual ethos. Is it there at the moment? Because unless we're proactive in this space, we won't see the renewal of these villages and towns that we need. And we, we're not being proactive as far as I can see. And then if we're not proactive, these derelict buildings just get more derelict and we could end up with more situations like we had in Oliver Blunkett Street. Exactly. And like there's a derelict site register, which I have to look for a copy of to see what buildings are actually on this derelict site register and then to see what is actually happening with that actual process. Are we going through that process with the derelict sites to ensure that we're corresponding with the owners, putting them under pressure? And if they're not, then are we actually stepping into the space of CPOing them? I'm not aware of any compulsory purchase of any building of any note in the last few years that I've seen in, as a, at local authority level. And I think if you look at what, in particular, what Joe Galvin did in, in Cork 20 years ago, that was his mantra. He gave you the opportunity, and if you didn't, he moved in and he took the building. And that's the kind of, when he got that reputation, it's amazing how it changed very quickly because if people thought Cork and the Council were going to be really proactive in the space, you could see an awful lot of movement very quickly in an awful lot of towns. That's what needs to be, it needs to be done. You were also highlighting the village of uh, Inishannon. Did you say 11 idle houses? Yeah, it's an amazing village. Um, great village in many ways, but the main street of Inishannon has, I think it's 11 or 12 houses that are actually empty. Wow. Um, um, you just walk up and down there, like, you might be there a lot, no affairs, and um, there'd be like, their shops empty, but their houses empty in particular. Um, for a real prospering, real driving village, wonderful part of the world, it always amazed me how that village has such empty houses in particular in the main street. Because it's and got that, that wonderful community spirit about it. Super. 
yeah. And it really has, like, the new playground, you know, the whole place. It's a really, really vibrant part of the world. But for some reason, there's something gone wrong in that village, and in particular in the main street. And, like, I just think it's another case of where there is local authority powers, where there's idle houses. They, can't, they have the actual powers to say who owns them, can you... There's even schemes there now where the local authority can rent the house off you for, for 10 years and pay for whatever, ma- whatever maintenance is there. So there's plenty of schemes there. It's just are we actually working with the communities to ensure we're actually in, um, enacting these schemes? And that's the frightening thing for me. And like, when I was teeing up earlier, you know, that you were coming on, uh, Tim, and that we will be talking about this, I was making the point... It is so unfair and so tough on other businesses or or homeowners who must work or live beside a derelict building. It's just not fair. Uh, yeah, and it affects not alone the neighbour next door, but the ethos of the town, the ethos of the village. It reflects poorly on whether it's the tiny towns that do so much work around the place. So it has a major effect on the entire community. And that's why I think we need to be more active in the space. We've put an awful lot of money into supporting community groups and supporting society at, at real grassroots levels. Unless we can actually ensure that the actual towns and villages are cleaned up and these derelict sites are cleaned up. You know, where we really are going over, and it's going to t- take a change of ethos and it's going to take a different level of engagement with the actual landowners and property owners to ensure we can deliver that on the ground. Okay, a listener, a, is, a listener is wondering could there be a problem in trying to get the deeds for some of these buildings? The powers that the local authority have, in particular the 64 Act, the Sanitary Services Act, um, regarding if there is an issue regarding uh, compulsory purchase, are amazing. Like it's, it's phenomenal powers in so many ways, and I think the manager has, or the, the minister has been very clear. There is no issue regarding powers or no issue regarding a process here. The powers are there. It's about you know enforcing them and actually working through it now. Um, in fact, I was kind of when I got a copy of the sixty four Act yesterday, I read it. I, I was amazed at the legislation that's there. It gives the local authority the right to actually move in. It by agreement or by a compulsory purchase, take the actual property and even levy the charges of cleaning up the site back on the owner itself or whoever the owner and party would be. So we're, we're not short legislation here. Mm. We're really kind of short, kind of a get up and go and let's drive on at this stage, you know. Okay. And, you know, someone is, is pointing out as well that, you know, we've got people on housing waiting lists. It's, it's, it just doesn't sit right to be talking about derelict houses. Oh yeah, and like this is the frightening the frightening issue that we have people in every town and village looking for houses and to have properties lying idle at the moment. There's a great frustration out there that you could have a scenario that there is houses lying idle, people on a waiting list, people on a housing list and you could ask the point, why aren't we in that space? Why aren't we, you know, practically chasing down these individual houses saying, this is unoccupied, why isn't it unoccupied? can the local authority take it off you? And if not, can we do something else with it? Because, like, I remember I entered the council in 2003, a long time ago now, but, like, I was always amazed at the city manager. I was a county councillor, obviously, at the time. But, like, he was so proactive in that space. And I learned a lot from watching what he was doing, and particularly on that joint city and council, uh, joint city and county committee that I was on. And if you were to take the ethos of the former city manager and what he achieved... There's so much we can do across every town and village in West Cork. 
that kind of drive, that kind of ambition, that's what we need to see from our local authority management because we have the powers, we just need to have that ambition now. Michael Imalo wonders, are people paying property tax on some of those derelict uh, buildings? I don't know, uh, make the point that revenue will come after us if we don't pay our property tax. Does revenue go after these people? I don't know if you pay property tax on a derelict building, do you, Tim? I'm not 100% sure on that. I thought it was only had to be living in it. I don't know. I don't know if you do. Um, And Kevin in Bandon says our our fire station is based just off Oliver Plunkett Street, the street Mm. you're talking about today. So this must be making it hard for the fire service if they have to rush to another part of the town or towards the northern part of the town, towards Noosa's town. So when Tim is talking about health and safety, yet uh, surely our fire service having to make diversions to get to other areas where there's the fire, surely there must be a health and safety issue there as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. Like so you're saying the 11th of March, you, you, where'd, you, where'd you get that date from for um, that street to open? I think Council issued a statement um, okay. saying that they will be hoping, but it's, op- it's open to review. So okay. when you hear the terminology, open to review, it's quite obvious that, well, in my opinion, that that's going to be extended at the moment. Because when I was there last Monday, look, it's totally closed off, very little happening there. Um, obviously, they need to make the structure safe before they reopen it. But, we're but it doesn't look like work is going on to make Absolutely. it safe, yeah. No, no, no. no yeah, yet. OK, yeah. we'll get on to the council as well and see if we can get any sort of an update from them. All right, Tim, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that. Thank you very much, Nate. And uh, thanks for joining us uh, on the programme. That is Senator Tim Lombard on the problem of derelict uh, buildings in particular on our main streets in towns and villages all over the county. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. Phone lines have been busy this morning, by the way, so don't forget you can also always text on WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. It's not too often you come into Cork Airport on a Friday night at midnight and the place is absolutely jam-packed. Two of the people are... Anya Cronin. And... Valerie Cleary. Now, what are you here for? You're not flying off to Mallorca. It's here for the crack. And the 5K runway run. Uh, Walk-ish. <laughs> what was the attraction to do it? It's really interesting, you know, to be on the runway running. Yeah, different. C103. Now, rearing to go is a fundraiser for Tech Tom, which supports individuals and families bereaved by suicide as well as those struggling with poor mental health. The culmination of the fundraising events happens this Saturday at Karen Mart in Formoy. And joining me with details, one of the organisers of the event, well-known farmer, uh, Peter Hines. Good morning to you, Pete. Good morning. Uh, you, you're, you're welcome. Now, you launched this fundraising event at the end of last year where you were asking people to donate calves. Did many farmers respond? Uh, at the moment, we've got uh, 34, 35 calves entered, um, but the quality of stock that we've got is phenomenal. There's, uh, there's some serious, serious uh, dairy stock entered in the sales, so uh, we're very grateful to everyone that supported us um, today. And, and thir- uh, 34, were you expecting to have that many? Uh, yeah, I suppose we're pretty much on target to where we are. Where we are. I suppose what we're really happy with is, is the quality of stock that uh, we've got, and I think that's a testament to raring to go on to Chuck Tom that uh, people have donated stock at that level, um, okay. and they should uh, they should certainly they should be uh, their stock that would won't hit the market very often and uh, should fetch big money hopefully on Saturday. And that's what Saturday is all about, is is making big money. Just talk us through the plan for the auction on Saturday. 
So the first class is into the ring at uh, 12 o'clock in Carnivant Centre. Uh, we have four celebrity auctioneers, um, Helen Carroll, Mia to the Gound, John Hayes, the rugby player, Fiona Steed. Uh, she played uh, international rugby for the Irish women's team and she's uh, a panellist on uh, the rugby commentary on TV as well. Um, and Pascal Sheehy, the Southern news editor for RT, is also auctioning calves. Um, we have trade stands from a lot of the companies that sponsor us. There's a, a family, kind of a, a kid's corner where there'll be balloons and face painting. Um, the restaurant will be open down there for the day. So, and we have a good, a good lot of other stuff other than calves to auction as well. We have a fantastic hamper with restaurant vouchers and uh, amazing Irish food produce in it. Uh, we have bottles of tea dips, bottles of detergent, uh, and a few other bits. The top priced lot on the day, uh, the purchaser of that will receive a 500 euro. Um, Farm insurance voucher from Zurich, Ireland. Wow. Uh, and the the person that donates the highest price lot, uh, the farmer that donates that to animal, will also receive uh, a 100 euro AI voucher and a clipping machine. Um, now, we have slight terms and conditions on that at the minute because we've been donated calves and we've also been donated three fantastic maiden heifers, which would be 12 months older. So we've all come to the agreement that the maiden heifer, the older animal, will have to at least double the price of the highest price calf. At the okay, to make it fair. Price. Yeah, to, ma- but, to make uh, it fair. All right, there are just some incentives to the farmers who, who have uh, donated. Exactly. And yeah. it's, a, it's about getting, I suppose, uh, rewarding the farmers for supporting us and it's about encouraging the, uh, the people they are purchasing on the day to bid hard. Uh, <laughs> Great incentives to dig it, deep. It I is. Think it is. Like uh, with the level of stock there to get a five hundred euro farm insurance voucher back on an animal like that is yeah, uh, it's, a, it's excellent. But you're very much pitching it as a family day, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely definitely a family day. The uh, in fairness, the auction years now they'd be hanging around to say hello to the kids and family, and uh, we didn't. Cur- I suppose there's no other livestock being sold on the day other than our auction. Okay. Uh, so from a safety perspective, it's a uh, it's very safe for kids and cart marts are encouraging. I suppose even uh, people that have donated stock if they want one of their kids to take the calf into the ring, they're more than welcome. Uh, we just want to create a good family day and create plenty of awareness. I think as much as we're trying to fundraise, that's the big thing we want to get across. Yeah, this is the this the is the, the and the the Thomas Hayes um, trust and particularly Pete within the farming community. So important is it, isn't it, to to raise awareness of mental health and and get farmers talking. It is. It's a huge part of it. And one thing we uh, decided after I chatted to you there just before Christmas was we we have our own Raring Floor Twitter page. And every Saturday we have a farmer um, posting the account for the day and chatting about their own mental well-being, their own mental health, their own struggles. We've had some phenomenal people on. Uh, and I think it's just given the, the, the campaign a, a global reach. We've had uh, people hosting from Ireland, UK, US. Uh, we have another English guy on in a couple of weeks. Then we have a Dutch guy lined up. And uh, it's just amazing. Like I see the DMs come in on Saturdays and Sundays because people know we would be behind the count at the end of it and they just see the awareness it's creating. And uh, it 
really stops you in your tracks. Um, I got a message from a girl in the UK three weeks ago, and she lost her 19-year-old sister two years ago to suicide, and she just messaged me, and she said, we're a farming family. My sister would have been very much in the farm and didn't get out, and she could have just connected so easily to this. My God. My God, that's, that's, that is powerful. And of course, the Hayes family themselves, who set up the Thomas Hayes uh, Trust, they had uh, the double loss, didn't they? They had the husband and son. Yeah, like Angela lost her husband and then she lost her son. And I mean, it's... Uh, shocking. It's, it's shocking, but uh, I suppose look, the, the level of support that she's provided, uh, 250 uh, people and families in 2017, that doubled to uh, 500 in 2018. Um, and the long-term plan for Raring to Go is that uh, we drive on and we create awareness and... and We'll always be very closely linked to uh, Chuck, Tom and Tangela because we're all, we all set it up between us, uh, raring to go originally. And uh, we, we, we plan on uh, running workshops in the ag sector uh, around the country, uh, hopefully starting this year. So we'll probably do one a month um, at different events or uh, different, and maybe advertise it to groups and stuff like that and just create awareness about how important it is to look after your mental well-being yeah. from a day-to-day perspective and if you are struggling just go out and find someone to talk to there's always huge support available Like so, uh, There's always somebody there Okay so all roads leading to the Caron Event Centre on Saturday first calf into the ring at uh, 12 noon and do, w- will you do something similar again next year do you reckon will you do another uh, auction? We're looking at projects for next year. We've chatted about something quietly. Okay. It will be something fun for the ag sector, whether it will be an auction or not. Now, uh, we, okay. we've lost time to plan the next one. All right. <laughs> well, keep, keep us posted. Listen, the very, very best of luck. And once again, my I was meant to be going along and unfortunately I've had to pull out at the last minute. So my apologies on that. But I wish you the best of luck uh, with it, Peter. And hi to Paul and the kids. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Mel. We greatly appreciate all the support. No problem. God, God bless. Take care. That is uh, uh, Peter Hines uh, joining us uh, in uh, in advance of rearing to go the auction on this Saturday. Good luck to all involved. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Jack Amalo has been on to us. Not a happy camper today. Jack parked in the disabled bay on Main Street in Mallow this morning just for a short period of time and he got a parking fine. Now, before anyone jumps in and says, oh, well, you were parked in a disabled parking bay, he has one of the blue badges and it was on display. So he's, he's baffled. He said he went looking to see if he could find the traffic warden but there wasn't a traffic. Where's, where's the traffic warden when you need a traffic warden to try and find out why he got a ticket? So he's, he's going to the council offices and we've asked him to call us back just to find out I'd be really interested to I mean it looks like he's been issued with a ticket by mistake and Jack is adamant his badge was on on display and he's been parking in that particular bay before and this has never happened to him before it it looks on, on the surface as long as your parking ticket is in is in date, which Jack, I'm sure it is, but, and you had it on display, it looks to me like it's some error that's been made on behalf of the traffic warden. So we will be, we will await with interest to see what reply Jack gets, but he's going to the council offices to see if he can sort it out. Okay. Um, an amount of people 
on to us about the story that's making the papers today that patients should be able to seek the removal of crucifix or other religious symbols from a hospital ward. This would be any of the hospitals that are run by the Catholic Church. If you're not happy with them and you're upset by them, you should be able to ask the powers that be, the nurse in charge, whoever, can you remove that? Uh, Please, Kieran in Carrigaline. No one should be allowed this is Kieran's opinion. No one should be allowed to remove religious items from hospitals run by religious institutions. Do we tell Muslim women to take off their burqas when they arrive in this country? Yet when we go to their country, we must wear them. So why should we change? If people do not like what they see, then don't come here. I know there was wrongdoings by the Catholic Church and they have tarnished the church outside of this. But we need to hold on to our beliefs, says Kieran in Carrigaline, Brown, Brian in Rochestown. This has happened in one of our own city hospitals, but it's or this is already happening in some of our own city hospitals. But it's our own Irish who are taking down the symbols. Um, so our own Irish are as much to blame as those who are asking for these items to be removed. Betty in Lombard says, I was in Morocco uh, on holidays at about 5am one morning. This loud alarm sound went off while we were still in bed. We jumped out of bed thinking it was the fire alarm. Uh, had gone off in the hotel, ran to the window and then I realised it was just the mosque it was the call to prayer. So we just accepted it for the duration of our holidays in Morocco. I was in Thailand before. We all went into a temple and everybody said their own prayers in the temple to whatever God they believed in. Yet when it comes to people coming to this country, why should we change? It's unfair that Ireland should change. Whereas when we go away, we abide by the rules of other countries. Lots and lots of people making that point. Anna in Formoy was in the Middle East a number of years ago and coming back in from a tour that tour guide very apologetic and said sorry there isn't a hot meal this evening as we're in the middle of Ramadan and of course in Ramadan they only eat, eat when the sun goes down isn't it it's the nighttime hours and in Fomoy said none of us complained we accepted it it was part of their religion their culture why can they not why when people are in this country can they not accept Irish cultures and traditions Anthony and Glenville is it those coming to Ireland who are against the religious statues in our hospitals because as bad as the church was it is part of Irish history and culture some of those coming to this country have no problem though adopting the drink culture we should have a lot more to worry about with them taking up the drink leave the religion out of it please Helen and Kilworth what happens to the Irish people that respect a crib when it is removed it was removed because a family weren't happy with it but what about those of us that like the crib are our beliefs and thoughts and views been taken into consideration when we go to other countries we respect what they uh, do um, Eileen in Mitchestown, I'm disappointed to hear, hear that people that have come into this country could ask for a crucifix to be removed if they're not happy, close their eyes we're catering too much to those who are coming in from other uh, countries. Tim says Trish, what, what in is the world coming to where we, when we are being told to remove Catholic icons from hospitals? Christ says he who denies me before man I will deny them on judgment day. So go easy would you? When paganising the country says Tim who obviously has a very deep faith and says hi Patricia as a, me- as a member of the Protestant community I feel it would be nice to call us a predominantly Christian country rather than a predominantly 
Catholic country. Also remember the saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, uh, says. And yeah, and a huge amount of people all saying the very same uh, thing. The uh, And by WhatsApp says, the person who gave the opinion about removing any objects from the hospitals is correct. In my opinion, if you're in hospital and you're sick, you're not really worried about the decor. Cor. You're not really worried about what's hanging up on a wall or what statue is up on the corner in your room. Your main purpose of being in that hospital bed is to rely on the medical staff to make you well so you can get home as quickly as possible to your uh, family. Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, if people do not like the symbols of Catholicism in this country or in our hospitals, then they should go back to where they came from. If we were in that situation abroad in one of our hospitals, there is every possibility that we'd be beheaded for offending their religion. It's time we called a halt to being told what to do. Thanking you says uh, Michael and Heidi says try doing oh no it says Heidi says Patricia here we go again what's the saying when in Rome do as the Romans do again those minority groups saying you can't have that or this you you must think this because we say we say I say enough you must think this way because we say it I say enough says Heidi try doing that in a Muslim country she says look what happened to Christians in some of those other countries give over give over you are in this country so accept it please Patricia just see what's happening in the United Kingdom you can't speak your mind here not so in the UK any uh, more so a lot of people all on the same theme can I just make a point as well what a lot of people are saying oh you know tell them to go home to their own country and all that. It isn't just people who are coming into this country who have problems with these religious uh, icons um, and crucifix and etc. Because the review group who've brought out this report, they interviewed a huge number of people for the report. And all of the people they interviewed wouldn't have been people who've just come into this country who are not Christian and don't like the religious statues. They would be people of, I I imagine, lapsed Catholics, people of, you know, certainly of other religions, but also atheists, people of no religion and who just don't want to have religious symbols in the church, in the hospital, even if it is, at the end of the day, a hospital that is run by a faith-based organisation. I think I think that's the... It's not that anybody goes... But I suppose I'm trying to... I, I, in my head, I'm trying to work out... I'm trying to think about it from the person who wants the statue removed. Uh, and I'm thinking if they're going into a hospital, surely they know that the hospital is a Catholic ethos. So for that reason, should they just put up with it because it's a Catholic ethos? A little bit like what people are saying when you go to another country, you know that this is their religious views, you know this is their culture and tradition and therefore you put up with it. So therefore, if you go into a hospital that is run by a faith-based organisation, you just have to have to suck it up. This report is recommending that you shouldn't have to and, you know, is pointing, is going so far as to say that they, that particularly with the, the faith-based organisations running hospitals, that if they don't provide services uh, like abortion or if they don't prescribe contraception, then this report is saying that the state should are questioning should the state continue to fund these 
hospitals. So there's, you know, there's a lot more in this particular report, but it's just the one of the sta- of the statues that I think has got everybody going. But just again, just to to put that out to to people, it's not just people who are coming into this country that are against it. There are people that are born and raised in this country and would have been, I imagine, a lot raised as Catholics and then have turned away, have turned against the church maybe to do with some of the scandals that were involved in the church and want nothing to do with the church and want nothing to do with the symbolism of the Catholic Church. So those people are also very much voicing their opinion and against having any of those religious icons in our uh, hospitals. Can I go back to scam calls for a minute? Because Anne says by WhatsApp, I got a call last week from the visa people they had my late husband's name God that's upsetting isn't it and they told me that the account was overdrawn by 200 euro I said I don't know what you're on about as he didn't even have a visa card and I'm assuming they hung up uh, straight away and then said she's absolutely sick to the teeth of getting these scam calls so she got on to Sky who are a phone provider and they say there is nothing at all they can do about it all of the phone providers are saying the same thing they're doing their best to try to block the numbers they're telling us if we've smartphones and you get these calls on your mobile to try to block it but there's absolutely nothing they every time that they try and do something to block them they're one step ahead and they've got some other way of of getting around it and here's a really great whatsapp in from uh, a listener again giving a word of warning to people out on this one this person got a don't have a name hi Patricia I got a call from a number and it was an 021 or what looked like an 021 number 2348885 I think there's one extra digit in that which makes it it wouldn't be an 021 number it looked like a normal telephone number that was coming from somewhere in Cork. The man on the other end of the line said he was calling from Revenue and Customs, the tax refund section, uh, and he rang to say that I was owed €885. I instantly knew it was a scam as he would not tell me his name and he had a foreign accent. So I questioned him a little bit and I asked him where he was from. He said he was from the the Ireland. His accent sounded like he was from from some area of India or Pakistan. He hung up when I questioned where exactly he was from. Then I called back again and he hung up. Then I called back and he put me through to another man, this time a gentleman with a different foreign accent. He sounded more like he was coming from, he was South African. Then this man said that I was owed €936. And I said, God, that's even better. The last year, colleague was only offering me €885. He asked me to give my bank details and to give my card details, starting with 4319 to process the refund. And of course, all the cards start with the same four digits, so they'll all have those. I knew the story, so I told him, oh no, sorry, I don't have a credit or a debit card. Can you just send me on a cheque? He says it was a special type of refund and they couldn't send it out by way of a cheque. I then said, oh, that's fine. Will you send it Western Union? He then shouted, no Western Union down the line at me and he hung up. Please warn your listeners of that telephone number 021 2348885 and that revenue would never, ever, ever make a call like that offering you tax refunds that they pay straight into your bank card. So please be careful. The scam artists are still out there and they're unfortunately still catching people and the big, one of the big, big problems that we have with a lot of these scams 
are that when people get scammed, they're so embarrassed when they get caught out that there are many who are not even reporting it to the Gardaí. And it's one thing we're always pushing people to do. Please don't be embarrassed by it. These scam artists are really, really good at what they do. They are fantastic at manipulating people. If they can get inside your head at all, they will be very, very persuasive and they'll manipulate the situation to the point where they'll confuse you, to the point where you actually think they're, they're genuine, you actually think this is uh, for real. So they play great mind games. And the only way we're going to hopefully get to the bottom of it is if enough people start reporting it and we need to continue talking about it and people need to talk to more vulnerable members of our community to make them aware that there are scam artists uh, out there. 1850 Hi Patricia, could you tell me please is Ash Wednesday a fast day thanking you? Yes, yeah, fast and abstinence isn't it? You eat your no. my training was on, on Ash Wednesday it's no meat day and you eat um, one main meal and two collations, which my late mother used to say were two small meals, so like a breakfast and a slice of toast for your tea or something. And then you did your dinner in the middle of the day. So, so yes, it's, unless it's changed, I don't, I don't have anyone tell us Ash Wednesday is a still a fast day and then you don't eat in between uh, meals. And of course, Ash Wednesday is also a day, certainly that the Irish Cancer Society, no smoking day, they're always trying to encourage people for smokers to try and give it up for one day and no doubt they'll be trying to do it again uh, next week. Now last night saw the final episode of this year's Operation Transformation with the tradition of seeing all the leaders take to the catwalk in front of family and friends. Throughout the series we have been supporting Cork leader Pamela Swain from Yall who joins me this morning to share her Operation Transformation uh, journey. Good morning to you Pam. Good morning Patricia. I'm very well and you looked absolutely amazing last night. What did it feel like? Oh my God, it was amazing. It was the best feeling of my life, I can tell you. Um, yeah, I felt amazing. All oh, my family were up there, my friends and stuff, so it was actually uh, just an amazing weekend in, in all, like, you know, the 5K, the catwalk. It was just amazing. I, I can't describe it yet. Emotional? Uh, very emotional, sure. Isn't that my... That's my um. That's my life. Emotion and and a disaster. I'm in <laughs> some morning of it now today. I can tell you. I, I I have to. We have to share this. You are you're you're getting a train. Is it to Dublin? Well, I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be getting a train to Dublin, and I came up to the train station and the car park was full. So then I went around to the front and the car park was full there. And then I tried to park on the street, which there's no parking. So now I'm actually going to have to drive something. Oh my God. Okay, okay. You couldn't write this, I swear. No, no. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about nicer things to distract you then for a few minutes. Okay, go back to the you, the the actual makeover. Did you get to pick the outfit? Did oh, you? Did, yeah. They brought us into Ernest in Dublin. What a shop. Oh my God, it was amazing. And um, the lady up there, Clara, she actually brought in 24 outfits for me to try on, like, you know. Okay. A uh, railing of everything that actually fits you. And suits and all the rest of it. Um, so actually, the dress that I wore was the first dress she actually picked out for me. Isn't that amazing? Like you know that she actually picked that dress for me, and that's the one that we went with. Like you know, good color, good a good color on you as well. Yeah, the blue, the blue fashion. I was excited. I actually got to keep the clothes off. So I wore it to the cinema last night. Did you? Um, yeah, the cinema y'all actually airs the finale for me for charity. Yeah. 
And so I had a full house inside there last night uh, for the Yall Support House, you know, the Cancer Support House. And have you been doing that every week? No, that was just for the finale. Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. So everybody... Go on Facebook, have a look. Yeah, so everybody got to watch it in the cinema everybody with you. Everybody got to oh. watch it, yeah. Everybody oh. got to watch it with me. Everyone who went for my walks and stuff, my family, my friends. Uh, 139 people um, filled the regal last night in y'all and we had a bumper. Well done. Bumper. Well done. That's terrific. How, how, would you describe the eight weeks as pretty intense? I would. Definitely, I would say they're intense. Um, it's something I'm glad I did. I'm definitely glad I did it. Um, I'm actually taking so much away from it. I'm so much of a stronger person now than I was eight weeks ago, we'll say. Um, but would I do it again? No. <laughs> would you not? No. I wouldn't. No, no. I wouldn't. Um, taking it on, obviously, like, you know, I wanted to lose weight, whatever. I, I did know that there'd be a camera there, but I didn't know how often the camera would be there, we'll say. Yeah. Um, I think that was the hardest part of it for me. And the second hardest part of it was going away from my, my husband and my kids every weekend. Um, that was huge. You know, like, the kids were in school all week and all the rest of it. So every weekend I spent in Dublin. Now, I loved being with the rest of the leaders, obviously, you know, like, that's time I'll cherish for the rest of my life. But, um... You're, you're, yeah. You are a real homebird. I am such a homebird. It's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, it's unbelievable. My husband would love to move to Australia, you know, and all this kind of thing. Not a hope. I wouldn't even move to Cork. <laughs> so that the wrench of leaving the family every weekend, and your children are young as well. So that's oh, yeah, they are. and they miss me, like you know. And my three-year-old, like he's going to be four in May, like, but he tells me every day now, I missed you, I missed you. You oh, know, God. like he's telling me all the time, he missed me, like you know, whatever. But um, but will I you? Will you? Person. Will you? When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The weight loss journey continue. Have you... Uh, My weight loss journey is definitely going to continue. Yeah. Um, Me and the other leaders, we're all weighing in every week now. We're going to continue doing that. And I I would hope, like for Lil's communion, that I'll be 11 and a half stone. That was the target that you set yourself, wasn't it? Your well, weight. That's, that's what I want. I, like, I want. I want to be eleven and a half stones. You know. Okay, so you've, um, you've another bit to go, and, and you'll do it. 
I, I will do it. Yeah. I will do it. Like the eyes in the nation at me now. There's, I've no other choice. But but so the, what was the highest point of of the, the highest age? point for me? Um, well, obviously, it was definitely getting up in that mountain, like yeah. you know, getting up on the sugar loaf. That was amazing. And another thing that was I like, I just loved was um, going into Kerry's closet there in y'all. Yeah, that was a, a really good experience because normally shopping would be a chore, you know. So to go in there, have the crack, and you know, try things on the fit, yeah, and come away with an outfit and be extremely happy with it. That that was um, that was lovely, like you know. Um, and I suppose like the five k. The five k running like that's just amazing. So I'm delighted with that. You see, you appear to have got the running bug. I know the way they talk about that. Yeah. yeah, I just absolutely love running now. Bear in mind, I haven't run yet this week. Okay. So um, I'm going to kill it tonight to um their walk. You know, their, it's actually their final walk of the Thursday nights. And um, if I get down from Dublin on time. My sister Teresa, I'm going to text her, and we're going to go up, and we're actually going to run and kill it tonight. Well done, well done. So uh, but you, will, but you will keep up the the running as well. Oh, I'm definitely well, going to keep up the running. Yeah. Oh, yeah. one thing that we were discussing, uh, Pam, was the wearing of the lycra every week for the way in. Some say that that's body shaming, and I saw Carol Henry on uh, a blog over the weekend talk about this. That it isn't. It's to let people around the country find the body shape, so they can identify with. Oh, that's my body shape, or blah blah blah. Did you have an issue with the lycra? Not at all. Not at all. Not for one second did I. Like, I, I was I was on the show because I was overweight, do you know what I mean? And I think, like, if anything, it would let other people see. Do you know, like, that I'm able to stand up there. I'm trying to sort myself out. Maybe people will look and say, do you know what? I kind of actually look like that as well. Maybe I should sort myself out. Mm. I don't think, like, I don't think for one second that any of the other leaders actually felt... Yeah, that Bad it was body shaming. No, it was it was actually remarkable last night to see the you know the week the, to week to week to week, and you could only oh, see yeah. that. So only in the lycra you can see how everybody went down in size. Exactly. If, imagine you were wearing a t-shirt. You wouldn't see it. Bottoms, you wouldn't, you, see, you not, wouldn't would see it. That. Stay there because Wayne O'Donnell was our local leader last he year, was. and and he joins and he me. And he's he's on the other line. He's on the other line just to give words of advice uh, to you now that the cameras have stopped rolling. Good morning, Shawane. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, Pamela. Uh, how are you, bud? All right. Yeah. She did well, didn't she? She did. She did. She did brilliant. I think um, I watched it now last night. I had a uh, popcorn watching it last night. I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't have to have the water and the the fruit like. But um, no, she did great, and all the leaders did excellent this year. It was great meeting them there two weeks ago at the challenge and we had been on to each other on social media and rang each other but yeah, exactly. to meet them in Dublin two weeks ago was great. But how how does how does Pam and the rest Wayne now stay focused now that the cameras are gone? I think from listening to Pam there, she's delighted the cameras are gone. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think it's gonna probably be easier for Pamela. Um, you know, some people some people need the attention and they need the cameras to push them. Other people feel like, you know, they're, they're better off with the freedom and doing it their own way. Um, I suppose in my own circumstance, when, I, when the cameras left, it was a bit of a, I suppose, a shock to the system because as Pamela said, they're, they're here for so much of your life. They're here nearly, you know, eight or nine hours a day. Um, so when they leave, the first week is a bit of a crash um, in terms of you kind of getting your routine back on track because you're planning everything while you're on the show, you're planning everything with the camera person. Um, you're planning your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, your work, your 
social life you're planning everything with a camera person and then you just have so much free time I suppose when they leave so that was definitely the biggest the biggest challenge was just to realise geez, you've so much more time because you don't have to plan everything accordingly and obviously you know when there's a camera person there you're going to do everything to be 100% um, yeah. which is which is the main thing you know and you've you've had a, a rough year uh, Wayne with uh, losing your dad and uh, how has the weight loss journey been? Yeah, so we lost Dad in April last year, um, so that was really tough, I suppose, and it was really soon after the show, like, from from the 5K, Dad was at the 5K, and I only kind of watched it recently, and, you know, it, it's great to have the memories, but the month or two leading after it was really tough because he was in and out of hospital, and we were just living, you know, in hospital for, for two or three months, which was really tough. Um, and I and you're definitely not on. eating properly then? No, you're not, you know, and you're not even worried about food. You're not even worried about habits. Now, the only thing I will say is I still haven't gone back to Coke, which is the biggest thing. I, I, I'm not after going back to my fizzy drinks, which was my biggest downfall. But when you're when you're going through circumstances personally like that, you know, diet isn't the main thing. Um, just getting on with your life, supporting your family and trying to cope with everything is the main thing. And then you, I suppose... Dad passed away in April um, it was another month or two before I even thought about doing anything and then it was actually Operation Transformation got on to me and they, like as Pamela said you you build such a bond with everyone you know the leaders the experts but you know the, the production crew as well and the people that are ringing and texting you every week to see are you okay and they rang me I think it was around the summer time or maybe late early early September and they were like look we're going back on for this year can you do a few things for us and promote us and I was like yeah and that kind of got me back on track I suppose I was lucky enough that I went back playing basketball in September so I was training two nights a week anyway and then you know I, I hadn't put on that much weight I didn't weigh myself I suppose from my last win which was in February last year to I'd say September I hadn't weighed myself and I did I put on I put on maybe 7 or 8 pounds but I lost that pretty quickly once well I got back well done training well done. And, you know. and you're fit out and as, as Pamela uh, Pamela we saw him take part in the 5 side. God he's competitive as well isn't he? Oh I tell you yeah. <laughs> my god he is yeah but it was great crack but um, I tell you what Wayne All right, listen, Pam, we'll, we'll let you go. I can, you're on the road and I know you want to, you're anxious to get to Dublin. Uh, we'll talk again, but in the meantime, uh, Pam, uh, congratulations to you and uh, you did us proud. Thank you so much. Thank okay, you. and Wayne, uh, continued good luck to you on, on your uh, journey with as you as you continue on, on the way to journey. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. 1850 Pamela Swain, Operation Transformation and Wayne O'Donnell, Operation Transformation for the previous year. And before we go to Kinsale Garda Station for this week's Crime File, I want to go to Formoy Garda Station where I'm joined by uh, Sergeant John uh, Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, um, Now you, you have, much. you are looking for, you can't go into too much detail on this, but you're looking for specific dash cam footage from specific dates. Yeah, I'm asking people just to cast your mind back exactly two weeks ago. It was Valentine's night, Thursday night, uh, the 14th of February last, two weeks ago exactly, um, between 9.30pm and 12 midnight. So I'm sure a lot of people and their significant others were on the road that night, either going to or coming from uh, a restaurant. And 
if they travelled the Mitchellstown to Mallow Road, that's the N73, and if they travelled it crucially between those times, again I emphasise 9.30pm to 12 midnight, if they have any dash cam footage uh, from that journey, um, the Gardaí here in Fomoy were investigating the matter where dash cam footage could be of uh, some assistance to us. Now, if you have any, now some dash cams, uh, they can hold up to a month's storage in them, um, say, of, of, of what you've done, of the route you've travelled. So, um, Detective Sergeant James O'Shea here at Fermoy Garda Station would welcome a phone call. It's 025 Okay. So I, I stress again, that's... Valentine's um, night. Valentine's night. A lot of people would have been on the road. Um, uh, dash cams, far more, far more common than they were this time last yeah, year. Yeah, a lot of people and have them. A lot of them have storage of, of about a month. So if you have, if you travel that road, again, Valentine's night, 9.30pm to 12 um, midnight, we'd appreciate that's the Mitchell Santa Mala Road in 73. If you could get in touch with us here at Fomai Garda Station. Okay. That's Detective Sergeant James O'Shea, 025 8200. Patricia, thank okay, you very much. Thank you, and thanks for that. That is uh, Sergeant John Kelly from Moy Garda Station. I'm going to Kinsale Garda Station, uh, where I'm joined by Garda Lisa Hannigan. Uh, good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you are welcome. And you, you start with the Garda looking for assistance and making people aware of the following. The, start, the first is a theft from a playground. Yeah, just a few things we're going to just mention to people. Um, the first, a theft of a play, from the playground in Glengariff. This happened around the 17th or the 18th of February. So, not so long ago, but just for swings um, were taken from the playground. And um, it is a basket-type swing, which is quite large, and a bucket-seat-type swing. So both would be quite unusual, um, and people would probably know them if they saw them. You know, they're quite expensive items, and I know the community down in Glengariff there are very upset about this crime, and any information to the Gardaí would be gladly welcomed. Okay, and next is an elder, um, and it's a bogus call, is it? That's right, yeah. So um, this is kind of a common thing that's happening at the minute. So we're going to mention this where a male um, in West Cork received kind of phone calls from a female claiming she needed money, um, or that money had been taken from his bank account. Now, she didn't say what bank she was from, and she was able to elicit some information from him. Um she was trying to get this mail to go to his local post office and make a Western Union transaction of €200. Thankfully, this scam was unsuccessful, but there have been a number of reports of this type of crime where people are ringing saying they're from the bank. Um, So one woman, unfortunately, did send money via Western Union to a scammer. And just to bear in mind that the people doing this fraud were able to mimic the phone number of the bank. So it appeared to the lady that the bank were calling her. It was a local phone number. And they fooled her into thinking that they knew her bank card details because they called out the first four digits of her bank card. And these can be the same on some bank cards, depending on your bank. So people just need to be very cautious and, you know, just attend your bank in person. Don't carry out any transactions like that. OK, and then staying with fraud incidents, this time what you're referring to as romance fraud. Yeah, a romance fraud. This is quite a new thing. And I suppose the extent of this scam is not fully known to us because many victims, I guess, aren't reporting or might be too embarrassed to report the fraud to Gardaí, but one such incident has been reported to us. Um, And in this case, um, the person um, had been, I suppose, matched with somebody online, be it friendship or romance. But the other person is, in fact, a scammer using a fake profile to build this relationship. And um, this person shared private and personal, personal information with this person or this scammer they met online. 
and they, it was then used against them trying to extort money in return for secrecy. So I guess just a bit of advice for people who are on these types of sites is just not to share any personal details. If there is a request for money, um, don't send or receive money and, and also think twice before using your webcam or sending any type of photographs. Okay, we've got theft of tools. This is still going on. This time it was a site yeah, in Dunamore. Exactly, a site in Dunamore. This was the 21st to the 22nd of February um, at overnight um, where uh, a site, a house was broken into. Um, I suppose tools and valuable, valuable items were left at the site. So, I mean, if anyone has any information on that night in Dunamore, the 21st and 22nd of February, and also just to be cautious to um, workmen out there leaving tools and valuable items, whatever they can remove and bring with them, we would recommend that. Okay, and the theft of outboard engines from Kinsale, and this is something that unfortunately will probably become more common as we head into the summer months. Exactly, and this is definitely something I've spoke about on the show before. Um, But in Kinsale ourselves, um, on the 18th of February, um, just last week we were dealing with this, um, but members of the public had noticed some males around some boats in the Kinsale town area. A rib was then spotted containing a number of other boat engines, um, and the rib had actually been interfered with and was intended to be stolen by the culprits, along with another number of outboard engines which they had removed off of boats. But the, the members of the public who had notified Gardy were a huge help, and as a result, the offenders failed to get away from the scene with the rib or any of the engines. Um, I'd just like to say as well, all the engines have been returned to the owners. Great. Um, and just a reminder to the people who, who do have boats, you know, there's anti-theft devices for boat engines, um, it's an outboard, in, outboard engine lock and they can be purchased. They're relatively cheap when you consider the price of an engine, I guess. And what can be expensive is the fill of oil. And unfortunately, there's been reports of theft of from oil tanks. Yeah, that's right. Now, this is kind of, I guess, we can't really pinpoint times because people aren't just checking their tanks regularly. But we've had a number of reports in Mallow, Kaleco, Bacroom and Bohorbui, to be precise. Um, theft in all those areas of um, oil tanks being emptied. So just for people to be mindful of this type of crime, I mean, it's a funny time of the year now, but, but just to be mindful of it, any way you can try and uh, maybe put sensor lights or, or CCTV cameras covering the location of oil tanks, they're great preventative measures. Okay, and uh, you want to give uh, some words of advice to bogus callers. Now, this isn't the, we've dealt with the scammers who call yeah. you up over the phone. This is people who physically come to your door cold calling. Yeah, that's right. Maybe just, Patricia, before I go on to that, I might just do one quick witness appeal. Okay. Um, where on Saturday night, there was 20 vehicles in McCroom, which is Saturday, which is the 24th of February. Um, it was onto the early hours of Sunday morning where there was 20 vehicles damaged. Um uh, they were parked on Castle Street and New Street in McCroom. And um, it appears that the individual who did this damage marked them with an object. So anybody, again, um, the, the previous sergeant was talking about dam- dash cam footage um, or any CCTV in the area, if you haven't been spoken to by Gardaí, we just ask you to contact McCroom Garda Station. That's just shocking. That's a horrible yeah. thing to, to do. OK, advice to on bogus callers. Yeah, Lisa. that's right. So just a bogus caller, uh, uh, very simply, a person who's calling to your home under false pretenses and it's typically for the purpose of a theft or a fraud. So very, very routinely this happens all the time. People will come door to door to people trying to carry out some work. They will charge exorbitant amounts of money for the services or if they get into the house, entry to the house they can some, sometimes take items, commit thefts. So um, if people are calling to your door, we would ask that you would ask them for a brochure or documentation that you can look at and judge it if it is credible. Most of these should have a phone number or a valid 
registered number. Um, I mean, a landline is what I would be looking for. Um, some some people don't have the landlines, but they should have a proper address and, as I say, that VAT registered number. Um, I mean, if you think it is a, a credible individual and you think their employment is necessary, ask for itemised written quotations. Any legitimate service will have no problem um, giving you this receipt. Mm. Um, what it would also say is that never leave any of these people unsupervised in your home because they're looking for a way to get into the house. Um, and so just never leave them supervised. Um, another thing we would also say is um, just to be careful with the documentation you do take. Um, the mobile contact numbers, um, or if there are incomplete addresses, as I say, um, a landline phone number, if it's on it, you can check with your directory inquiries and establish the credibility of this individual or the company concerned. And they'll often say that they they'll might have a name of a neighbour, oh, we've been doing work down in, you know, Mary O'Brien's house, yeah. and, they, and they haven't. No, they haven't. And it's, yeah. very, it's very easy for these people to get the names of their neighbours. Yeah. You can stop on the side of the road and ask for directions. And people do it normally. They say, that's John's house, etc., etc. Yeah. So it's very, very easy for them to go in and... and and it's been a story that they know people in the area. Um, we would just say that you don't entertain cold callers and people like this. And if it's elderly, vulnerable people, would you go so far as they don't even open the door if somebody calls and you don't know who they are? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah definitely. You can look out the window. You don't recognise the person. Don't answer the door. You think they're a bogus caller and they're hanging around the property. They can be looking at the property. Call the local guardie. Um, we would just say try and get a good description of the person. And what's important would be a make, model or registration number of cars if they're travelling in cars. And this is where neighbours play a role as well. Keep an eye out on your elderly neighbours. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if it's only calling in for a chat, um, an elderly neighbour might mention that people were were around. We might never hear about it, but it's very, very important for neighbours to help protect the more vulnerable, you know, their neighbours. Yeah, and if you need work done on your house... They'll employ somebody locally that you know because you've got backup at least Absolutely, if something goes yeah. wrong. Always, you know, word of mouth. You can ask somebody. Um, I think it's the best way to go. Someone who can, um, you know, who has had that person in their house and they're genuine tradesmen carrying out work. Yeah, yeah, because there's nasty people out there and they can't be trusted, unfortunately. Okay, Lisa, listen, thank you for that. Thank you very much. Patricia. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is Garda Lisa. Harrington, who joins us from Kinsale Garda Station. And before that, we heard from Sergeant John Kelly in Formoy Garda Station. If anybody has that dash cam footage from Valentine's night. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Jack was on to us earlier. Um, bless his heart, he was a little bit, uh, what well, he was annoyed, I think, more than distressed. He has a blue badge for disabled parking and he parked in a disabled bay in Mallowtown earlier this morning. Wasn't gone long, but when he came back, there was a parking ticket um, saying that he shouldn't have been parked in a disabled bay, even though he has a disabled parking permit that is in date. He went looking for a traffic warden. Lo and behold, there was none to be found. So he ended up having to go to the council offices. He did. He went in, he explained the situation. He showed him his disabled badge. He showed them the parking ticket he received and they cancelled the ticket immediately and said no fine. He was only parked, he reckoned, for about 20 minutes. So it all happened very quickly. So obviously the traffic warden simply made a mistake, but it's been rectified and he hasn't had to pay the parking ticket. Just a little bit inconvenient for him as he had to head to the council office. But good to know that that got sorted. Thank you, Jack, for updating us as he promised he would do. 
Here's an interesting one and I don't know and I haven't had a chance to check out the ticket prices but Michael says Patricia hi have you seen the price of the Elton John concert tickets? No I don't know I don't know if John Paul knows the price of the Elton John concert tickets absolutely crazy according to Michael. Now Michael reckons the sad thing is that these the the ticket the prices that these tickets are what really annoys Michael is that the very same crowd who you will see queuing for these tickets early in the morning who complain about the cost of rent and mortgage and food and childcare they'll complain about everything and they'll want everything for free yet they'll have no problem problem playing astronomically inflated prices for Elton John tickets are for others as well. Something's very wrong somewhere, says uh, Michael. And see, if you're a fan, I think this is always the problem when prices are set for concerts. If you are a fan, you don't, well, well, well you, you may worry that the tickets sound expensive, but you'll pay any price to go and see, particularly if you've been a big fan of somebody's for a long, long time. And I'm assuming, because we don't often hear people give out that much about the price of tickets. And tickets are, for concerts, are very expensive. It's become the norm that they're very expensive. Obviously, the artist gets a big chunk of the money and then the venue has to be paid and the promoter has to be paid and all the ancillary costs that go into staging some of these elaborate uh, concerts. But you'll rarely hear people complain about the price or boycott an event because of the price of a ticket. And I, I think, for me... It's because genuine fans want to go along and see. And say, I don't know the price of the tickets, but anyway, it's upset Michael. He feels uh, astronomical uh, ticket prices for it. I saw Elton John uh, a few years ago. I wouldn't be a huge Elton John fan now, but I remember going to one of his concerts. He played in the marquee. I'm sure I saw him in the marquee uh, as well. And I came away having enjoyed the concert, but I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan, so I wouldn't be paying an astronomical sum to go and see him. That's for sure. 1850 Yesterday, we were giving words of advice to parents to be careful of this Momo challenge that's doing the round on Facebook and this really scary photograph of this woman's face with the bulging eyes. I can't even look at it. I was even, John Paul today was doing something online and it, 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 it by way of research and it popped up on the screen and I, was, I just had to look away. I really, it scares the life out of me. So I can imagine what it does to children. And we were advising parents yesterday talk to your children about it but we were doing it on the belief that it hadn't really hit Ireland yet and that's what experts would, were telling us and any research I'd done in advance of the interview yesterday was oh this is a phenomena that's in other countries but look let's prepare for it because if it's in other countries it's on the internet yes it'll work its way to Ireland and during my interview yesterday we had somebody on saying that their son when she spoke to her son about it the son said yeah I, it, it came up on his either his phone he was a 10 year old I don't know if he had a phone or whatever device he was using whatever tablet he was using and he was playing a game online and, the, and Momo came up so I was thinking oh well it does look like it has reached Ireland and somebody has just contacted me this morning to say Patricia Momo has hit Ireland. My grandchild came home from school in the Mallow area the other day and told us that a child in her class had seen Momo while on her phone. The child is nine years old. She told the child that Momo had told her that Momo can give you a virus and this virus will kill you. 
if you don't do that's see that's part of the Momo challenge and children are so trusting they don't realize that this is all made up and these are these are very evil people behind this particular challenge a very confused and frightened little girl came home from school that day and we had a lot of explaining to do it's sad that children have to be subjected to such evil yeah it is and and I know straight away what really caught my eye and thank you by the way for that text what really caught my eye was your grandchild being in in school with another little boy or girl I don't know whether it was a boy or a girl aged nine on her it's a little girl on her own phone a nine year old has a phone this is where we go back again to questioning if you have to give a child a phone doesn't have to have access to the internet you know they're not little kitty mobile phones that you can buy that can just you can just if you if you, if you say that you need to give a nine year old a mobile phone because you want them to be in contact with you with you or you need to be able to contact them as often the excuse that's used why a child needs to have a mobile phone then get a basic phone that you can literally just phone them on maybe they're able to send a text message but don't give them a smartphone that gives them access to the internet because that's what will happen if you have a child then of nine and this you know this Momo challenge comes through that is truly truly frightening thank you by the way for sending on uh, that text uh, to us uh, to whatsapping 0862103103 can you get your pet questions in by the way because Jane Pickett our resident vet will be joining us this hour if there's anything wrong with any of the animals in your home and you have a question for Jane get that into us you can either call Paul John Paul at uh, 1850-333-103 or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We were talking about the religious items being removed from churches and a report out saying that if patients want them removed then that's what the church that's what the hospital should, should do. These are hospitals that are voluntary hospitals owned by faith-based organisations. Audrey said, do people always have to be going on about stupid things like statues and other holy things? Because there's a lot more things to worry about. If you are very ill and you're in hospital, believe me, the only thing you need to be worried about is that you're in good hands. And uh, God... And you would like to think that you'll be hoping that God will help you get through it, says Audrey. So the last thing you need to be worrying about is whether there are religious items on the walls or not. Debbie says, can you please tell me what difference religious items in church will make to your treatment? At the end of the day, you're in hospital to be looked after. You shouldn't be worrying about what's up on the wall. Eileen and Mitch says, I'm disappointed to hear that people who come into this country could ask for a crucifix or a religious statue or picture to be removed. If they're not happy, could you tell them to close their eyes, please? We're catering too much for those who come from other countries. And to go back again, those of other faiths, it isn't just people who are coming into this country that have been complaining about this. And Tom in Castletown Road says, Patricia, could you find out the report that you mentioned that was done for the government that has brought up this about church-run hospitals told to ditch the holy symbols, as, as one paper puts it. Could you find out how much did that report cost? I've, I've looked through just the, what I've read about it in the paper. It doesn't give a cost. All it says was it's a review group which was chaired by a former Secretary General of the European Commission, uh, Catherine Day. That's the only name that's uh, mentioned. They did interview a number of people for the report and it was an independent review of state-funded services uh, and they were asked the report, they asked to, to carry out the report to see what is the level of church-state involvement and um, should 
the you know should the state and church should still go hand in hand when it comes to the running of some of our, some of our hospitals there's 12 in total that receive 1.34 billion in state funding but no the answer Tom in Castellan Road I don't know how much it cost um, but it was probably probably a lot of money if they had to interview a lot of people I'm assuming then there would have been a, team, uh, a large team involved in getting out to interview people and a review group you know, as I say, it's chaired by one person, so I don't know how many people were on that uh, review a group. James Imbury says, we are all praying to the one God at the end of the day. James remembers when he was in school back in the 50s, there was three students in his class who were members of the Church of Ireland. They went home early from school every day because James says, in obviously it was a Catholic school, they had prayers at three o'clock. James says, you respect everybody's religious beliefs. And when we think about it all, these religions, particularly the ones that come from the Far East and the Middle East, these are religions that have divided people and that have caused uh, wars. You don't have to look to the Far East, uh, James. You can look to any country. A lot of all, nearly all wars are based in some way on religion, which is very, very unfortunate uh, indeed. Um, Marion Cantor says I think a lot of the new young Irish are also to blame for the removing of these statues and religious icons in the church. The younger generation appear to have lost the way and lost their faith. They don't believe in the healing power of religion anymore. And that's got a lot to do with why we are we are losing statues and icons from our hospitals. So don't be blaming people coming into this country, I suppose is the point. 1850-333-103. John Paul continues to take your calls. Phone lines are busy, by the way, so do bear with us. We are looking for your pet questions as well. Best way to guarantee I get them is to text them in or WhatsApp, WhatsApp them to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Rasheen National School, they're holding a fundraising bingo night tonight in Ahina GAA Hall. It starts at 8. The jackpot is €150. Euro. And uh, all are invited along. There will be great raffle prizes. There will be a beef plan meeting in the Vienna Woods Hotel in Cork tonight. That's at eight. All beef farmers are invited to attend. While the North Cork Beekeepers Association, they've got a lecture in the Nan the Nanonagel birthplace in Ballygriffin, eight o'clock tonight, and it'll discuss being spring uh, ready. Mallow Rotary Club are holding a table quiz. Albert Lynch's that's tonight at nine. Tables of four forty euro, please. Kildallery Community Lotto. Their next draw is tonight for a jackpot of three thousand two hundred euro. Ollie's Bar tonight. Blood Transfusion Board Donor Clinic in Dunamore Community Centre. They're there from five pm to eight thirty to, to this evening. And Dom Tariff Annual Retreat to Ardfelt will now not go ahead this year. And that's due to unforeseen circumstances. And thank you to Michael, who's come back to tell me €232 and upwards for a ticket uh, to see Edton John. Well, that is uh, expensive. And Colette was back on to us. Colette texted us yesterday. It was her young son was playing on his tablet when Momo popped up. He was the first that we heard yesterday when we realised it had hit uh, Ireland. He was playing a Minecraft game and Minecraft is very much aimed at uh, children and, and I would have family members with young children 
who play Minecraft. It's, it really is shocking. And that was on their tablet because Minecraft is linked uh, to the internet. You just have to be so, so careful. I was mentioning Community Diary there and events that are on. Can I just give an, a quick mention to something that's happening on a Saturday? It is a sale of homemade cakes and jams and garden produce. It's in Kildallery Parish Hall. It's an annual event in aid of St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville and it's on this Saturday between half past ten and one. But if anybody would like to donate cake do a little baking for them uh, they would the gang there would uh, love to hear from you about Kildallery Parish Hall this Saturday if you are passing please uh, pop in ok still getting calls in about the religious symbols in our church or in our hospitals Texter says on the religious symbols well I'm on the side where I would like religious symbols on the walls would they put them up for me where are my rights I want them to facilitate my religion leave them up have I no voice which is an interesting point Terry's in McCroom and joins me on the comment line Uh, good afternoon Terry good afternoon Uh, you think we're too willing to change our customs for others I think the Irish are too willing to give in to other communities I I mean, if we went to their country, will they change things for us? They won't. They you won't, know, indeed. I mean, if we, I mean, there's countries there that if you drink, you're uh, ostracised or you're put into jail. But I mean, I like to see the holy things up in the hospital when I'm there. Mm. And uh, believe me, I've been there uh, with the last six years. I've been in and out of, of the Marseille Hospital so many times. And I find great comfort in going to the church while my husband's having his treatments and things. And and you would see that a lot, wouldn't you? People popping into the church. And I mean, they're, they're not necessarily practising Catholics, but there, as you say, there's some comfort there's from it. There's comfort in knowing that there's something higher than us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I find it, I find it very good because, I, I mean, my husband has been sick for a number of years and... Uh, while he's having treatment and stuff like that, I spend the most of my time in the church. And I wouldn't call myself a Holy Joe. Right. My religion means an awful lot to me. And particularly when the chips are down and you're, oh, yeah. F- yeah, it's it's the time when we all, I think even people who've got, gone away from religion have a tendency to go back towards something. Well, well I did give, I did when my brother died there a number uh, 14 or 15 years ago, I turned against God, but I always kept praying. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I kind of got bitter about it, but uh, I still, I always come back and I would love to think that my grandchildren would be the same. And when you're inside in, it's the Mercy Hospital you're talking about, yeah. isn't it? Are there a, lo- are there a lot of religious uh, items? Well, I actually, there's only, as far as I know, I was asking about one of the nuns uh, because my grandmother actually died there as well. And I remember a Sacred Heart and another statue over at the other end on the top of the stairs. Yeah. And I was asking about them and uh, she said she didn't know where they were. They'd been removed. They'd been removed. And I can remember my brother, <laughs> he was in an accident and he woke up alongside the Sacred Heart <laughs> and he thought he was going to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and he was only 
17 or 18 oh. years, you know. Yeah, so there, but there, there, there definitely is evidence that a number of statues have been, have been taken them. down, yeah. But there's yeah. only one nun, I think, now in the convent. Left. The other lady has gone to the convent near the Northgate Bridge. But I always talk to them when I'm there, and there's a good service there to a lady and a gentleman that come around with Holy Communion and things. And they are very good. And again, they, it's your choice if you want to take communion. They're not ramming it down oh, no, anyone's no, throats. No, no, yeah. They, yeah. they just come around and they, got, they have gotten to know me and they always ask. Would you yeah. like communion? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they always, I meet them then when they're not doing communion. And it's a comfort to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. So, I okay. mean, I think they're losing an awful lot by giving in to outside people. I yeah, and I think that point that was made that I read out just before I brought you on from that caller, they're saying, you know, what about people who who are religious? And, you know, I want my, I want to facilitate my religion, says exactly, this texter. Exactly. You know, do, do, do people who have a religion, are they, do they have no choice? Oh, they haven't. I mean, yeah. they're going to keep removing a lot of the stuff in Kerry, I think, has been Has removed. been removed, yeah. Oh, it's all over the country. It isn't just a Cork thing. All right, listen, okay. uh, Terry, and how is your husband doing? Oh, he's doing good. Great, great. He's doing good. Okay, good health okay. to the pair of you. Thanks for okay. that. Thanks for joining us. Frankie Kinsale says it was the people of this country who built those hospitals and those churches. It was the Catholics and members of the Church of Ireland who contributed their pennies to build those hospitals. Let's not uh, forget uh, that. Okay, what else is coming in? Keep your pet questions coming for Jane, please. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 86 103 Some more of your calls coming in. Jerry and Bandon got a call last night at half past eight from a scam caller. But my phone warned me. When they rang my phone, it came up on my phone as possibly a fraudulent call. Oh, some of the providers are getting good. It seems the techno- that the telecommunications pump people are making these calls now. I have a Samsung phone. I've got these calls before and they have said where they are calling from on my phone as in the country. But this is the first time it appeared on my phone last night as this is possibly a fraudulent call. Oh, that's good. Now, maybe that's something only Samsung are doing. I've got an Apple an iPhone and what normally comes up on mine is you know it's the, the Ascension Islands is the one I keep seeming to getting scam calls from, so I know straight away what it is it'll be a missed call so I know what it is but I know of other phones where you know it just comes up as a number but that's good has anybody else noticed that possible fraudulent call coming up as the phone call came in and that's good that's the I mean in fairness to all of the phone providers they're at their wits end the last time we made contact with one of them they were saying you know every time we think we get we are ahead of them they then get a, a step ahead of us so it just goes on and on but they are trying their very very best and someone else has, has rang up saying just to let you know Patricia Air have a new employee Suzanne has just rang me. Oh God, she Emily's sister. Suzanne just rang to say there was a problem with my internet when I asked in a very loud voice what was wrong with my internet. 
She hung up. She realised that you'd copped straight away that it was a fraudulent call. Uh, good on you. So keep a look out for Suzanne. We spoke about traffic warden and the problem that poor Jack had getting a ticket that he shouldn't have got a ticket for. Somebody else had an issue with the traffic uh, warden and this is a particularly mean thing to happen. Hi, I have a new 191 car and I had it for two days and a traffic warden tried to give me a ticket. Why? I had no tax up on the windscreen. I told the person, I only have the car two days, but no, they still wanted to give me a ticket. I said, OK, let's go up to the Garda station. Let's go into the Garda station, talk to the Garda about it and let's see who's right. When I mentioned going to the Garda station, he backed uh, off uh, on unreal. Now, I assume had you been given that ticket and you weren't at your car, that's that would be a parking ticket I would have thought hook, line and centre. You're always given a few days when you when you get a new car in order to get your, your tax sorted out. That seems particularly... Uh, I, I'd love to... I, no, vigilant is the wrong word to say. Is, he, is that a vigilant traffic warden? That's a, an overzealous traffic warden who is going well above and beyond the call of duty as to what the person is meant to be doing as a traffic warden. Hi Patricia, just to let you know and could you let other listeners know Electric Ireland are putting their prices up by 4%. So much for the €5 extra in welfare payment that we got in the budget that we will be getting. It's in April, isn't it, when that is being paid. As soon as we get it, we'll have to hand it over now to uh, Electric Ireland. I hope we continue to get good weather. I won't be turning the heating on. I certainly feel for families who are struggling and this is making the papers today. Electric Ireland has announced that their price hike is going up from the start of April. And actually that listener is right because it's April is when anyone on pensioners, anyone on social welfare, you know, the extra fiver that was given in the budget while it got announced in October. And the night that the budget got announced, any increases for the cigarettes or if they have the petrol or the diesel, if they do any of that, that goes on from midnight. It's always very unfair. Increases then take a, a few weeks or a few months and many months to trickle down, almost six months in this case, for the pension increases and the social welfare increases. And it will be an extra five, and I suppose it's a five or a week you will be getting. But your ESB will, if you are with Electric Ireland, your electricity bill will be uh, going up. Anyway, they, uh, Electric Ireland say the customers from the start of uh, April the supplier has promised not to rise prices up to the end of this month because they had a winter price freeze was put in place. They wouldn't put it up over the winter so the first opportunity they're getting they're putting it up. Uh, Electric Ireland have 1.1 million customers. They'll see the price of gas and electricity rise by 4%. How much is 4%? They reckon around €38 a year extra to the average electricity bill. Average gas Gas prices will go up by about €30 per year. It is the second hike from Electric Ireland in just over six months. The two rises, when you put the two of them together, it'll mean your households will pay €90 extra on electricity by the end of this year. Seven suppliers have now raised their prices in the past few months. The Electric Ireland move comes after the rival board Gosh Energy. They said they will put their prices up uh, from the 10th of March. Electric Ireland are the largest electricity supplier in the market. They blamed a surge in wholesale gas costs 
for the reason why they have to pass it on to the householders. The company, which is part of the ESB group, they have 140,000 gas company. Uh, customers also on top of the electric customers. Electric Ireland's uh, say against the backdrop of a much higher wholesale energy costs we now reluctantly have to pass on the higher costs. Why does it always go up though? It's rare we'll be announcing something saying guess what your electricity price is coming down. It always seems to be on the up which can I once again mention and I see in this piece I'm reading from the papers bonkers.ie and we've spoken with them before Dara Cassidy is there the price comparison website they're saying switching could see householders save hundreds of euros right now a customer who's on the standard rate and who uses an average amount of gas and electricity a year you can save 357 euro on average by switching energy suppliers. It's one of those things we have a tendency to be brand loyal. What is it? You do, we all need to consider switching. And according to bonkers.ie, it's quick and easy to switch. It can be done online in the space of a few minutes by going to their their website, bonkers.ie. Energy contracts usually last a year. So if you've been with your energy supplier for over 12 months, then they're saying it is time to switch and particularly with all of the prices uh, rising. There's something for you to do for the afternoon. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And our resident vet Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joining me in studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And uh, we, we were saying this time last week how busy you were, and I've asked you again how busy you were, and you're saying run off your feet. Oh, you know, it's it's just that time of year. It's hectic, but you know we like to be busy. We're prepared for it. It's the spring. It's lambing. It's calving time, and also there's the, the small animals, which is the less seasonal work tipping away in the background. But it's busy. But we like business. Is it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's what we got into the game for. Yeah, so. <laughs> as you say, it happens every year at this time. It so it isn't that it's a shock. Okay. Exactly. Uh, questions for Jane eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul is taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Chris in Mitchellstown has been on her dog. Has an extremely sore ear. The eye skin also around the eye is weeping. He's mainly an indoor dog. We don't know what's going on with him. He's Jack Russell, seven-year-old male, and he's a new shirt. Mm. So a weepy eye and a sore ear, basically, is what it's looking at. Oh, this poor little fella. It sounds like he's in a bit of distress, really. I can imagine. It sounds, if we have an extremely sore ear, I would imagine what Chris is describing is it's probably a lot of head shaking and pawing at the ear and maybe scratching the ear off the carpet. They're the classic signs of having a sore ear. Now, I suppose there's a few things that can cause a sore ear. I suppose we have a mainly... Um, indoor Jack Russell here so let's assume that he's probably supervised when he's out and about and that okay. an accident mightn't have happened now for a not indoor dog or a dog that might not be fully supervised outside we'd always worry have they got the ear caught in something or has there been some kind of trauma um, in this case it doesn't sound like that um, I would wonder if the pain from the ear and the reddening of what I, what I assume is the reddening of the skin on the inside it may be reflective of an infection now, okay. it could be a bacterial infection that might require some antibiotics to settle down or it could be a parasite. So there is these tiny little bugs called ear mites, which regardless of whether we have an indoor or an outdoor dog, provided the environment in the ear for some reason, let's say it's a little bit wet or there's been a little bit of scratching going on. 
ear mites can settle in and cause no end of trauma to the inside of the ear. They're incredibly itchy, so very distressing for the dog. Um, and they they can cause some damage of the inner ear lining as well. And then I take it if a dog is continuously scratching it, mm. he's going to tear the exactly. inside of the ear. Yeah, exactly. And then so, you're into all kinds of infections. And mm, Absolutely. And it is kind of a bit of a vicious cycle, really. Um, we have that incredibly itchy, sore environment, whether it be from a wound, a bacterial infection or a parasite like ear mites. But it is that vicious cycle in that when they're scratching and itching at that, they're going to be making the area more sore, but also causing potentially some self-trauma to the outside of the ear, the pinna, which is the the dangly bit of the ear, as it were. Um, I think in any case, I would advise taking this little dog to the vet to have a little look at the ear. We mentioned as well that there is a little bit of weeping from the eye as well. That's another really important thing to get checked by your vet. Sometimes it can be a little bit of a knock-on effect from having, let's say, an ear an ear problem or an ear infection. If you imagine you're a little dog kind of, you know, scraping his ear off the carpet to try and itch it as best he can or trying to pawing at the ear with a back leg, it's not a far travel from the ear to the eye. So sometimes we can get cross-infection of the eye on the same side. They could be two separate issues, but it's possible they could be yeah, connected. But an antibiotic would, would heal it, would, would it? Would set it. It, yeah. it may well do. How do you get rid of the, the, ear, the, the mites? The ear mites. It's, we, we kind of have to do it from two angles. A lot of the time it's a topical treatment prescribed by your vet down the ear. Um, and they would show you how to apply that safely. Um, as well as that, I would normally recommend that a general um, anti-parasite spot on be applied and one that you, a good product with a broad spectrum. If you speak to your vet or your pharmacist, they'd be able to okay. advise you. Okay, Donna in Clannacilty. Any reason why my cat keeps going to the toilet in front of our front door inside the house? She is an indoor cat. Never done this before. Obviously, they have a tray that she's been trained to, but suddenly has decided to go inside the front door. Why mm. would she be doing this? This is a really interesting one. So, if we are litter trained, um, so we have a litter tray somewhere in the house and we're very used to popping in that to do our business, then it's curious why things have changed. I would always say, uh, as far as litter trays are concerned, if we want to make sure that they keep comfortably using them, I'd always have at least two per cat. Okay, so two per two cat. Two per cat. Don't share? Uh, don't share. No, okay. no, absolutely. At least, well... Two per cat, but if you have lots of cats, more litter trays than you have cats as a definite, right? Okay. They don't like to share, um, if at all possible. As well as that, make sure the litter trays are constantly cleaned out as best you can. Make it a really nice environment for them to do their business in because you want to try and encourage them to do it in the right spot if you can. It also make sure it's nice and clean and comfortable. It's like us. We wouldn't want to go do our business in a dirty in toilet. Dirty toilet yeah. uh, it's and exactly the same, the same. Cats, 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 by their nature, are yeah. very clean animals. Incredibly. Absolutely. And if, if something wasn't to their liking, if they found their toilet surroundings slightly grubbier than they would like, then they, they'll, they'll make their feelings known by peeing elsewhere. Yeah. I think the other thing I would say, if, you're, if your cat is an indoor cat, but let's say goes out the cat flap outside to do its business, if that's the arrangement, and let's say you don't have litter trays inside the house, I would wonder, is there some reason why your cat doesn't want to go outside to do the business anymore? Has something outside there scared your little cat? Whether it be a, a local feral cat roaming in, maybe trying to break into your own little cat's territory or some change like let's say DIY going on outside the house or construction big loud noises something out of the ordinary for that cat that might have scared it that makes it not want to exit the house to go out and do its business so it's probably getting as close as it can to the door because it wants to do the right thing but it's it's want to do the and right what, thing what, might if, be outweighed if, but by if the a fear. cat got a fright like that would it remember it and mm, would it incredibly oh, okay. they're incredibly intelligent creatures okay um, and it really is kind of a pattern of behaviour that they'll They'll try their very best to do what they like to do. Like they'll, if they can keep a routine, they'll try and keep it. So 
my suspicion is, let's say, if the arrangement for this cat is that they normally go outside, he's doing the next best thing that he can. He's getting next to the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to keep that routine, but for some reason he might want to go outside if that's the arrangement. If it's a purely indoor arrangement with litter trays, I just make sure there's lots of litter trays, make sure they're really well cleaned out and keep everything calm and regular in the house. Cats are incredibly perceptive little creatures. They pick up on the slightest change in things and that may manifest a stress for them in one way or another. And sometimes we do see changes in peeing and pooing behaviour yeah, as a manifestation that of stress. They, they can't tell you. So that's, exactly. that's their way of getting the message. Yeah. Stay with cats because uh, Christine has what she describes as a painfully shy cat. He'll hide all day. How do I get him out of his shell? Ah, OK. So I'm um, kind of following on from cats being perceptive creatures and sometimes they can get stressed quite easily. I, I take it from this caller. It's probably a cat that's possibly newish to the household. Um, trying Doesn't to get him say, to come out of his shell. Let's assume it is. Yeah. yeah let's, so let's assume it's a, it's a new cat to the household. I think the first thing I would do is be okay with him hiding. He will come out in his own time. And I think the worst thing you could do is try and force them out into the open, as it were. So have lots of kind of nice, quiet nesting spots for him to hide in. Now, to be honest, he'll probably choose his own spots. Um, yeah, just make sure they're yeah. make sure they're safe. Yeah. Um, and maybe offer him a nice kind of quiet area with a little bed in it. He may not choose to use it, but just you know, let have him do there. his thing. Yeah. I think keeping everything nice and calm. Try not to be too in his face. Keep the routine very even. Feed at the same times, in the same place. Make the same sounds. So say, right, right, puss, we're going to feed you now. Let's put down the food here and have a chat. Get them used to your voice and familiarity. I try to avoid having too many new strangers in the house or particularly if there's strangers coming over to visit the new cat. I would avoid that for the meantime. Let him settle. I think it really is time and perseverance. They are incredibly perceptive, but you know deceivingly trusting um, over time I think he will come out and he show. will just he give will, him time yeah. give him yeah. time yeah okay Cathy and Clondrahad every time we try to groom our cockapoo dog who's just turned 12 months of age male not neutered yet he gets very aggressive why only on grooming mm. they're beautiful dogs cockapoos beautiful little dogs great little temperament usually yeah now the Cocker Spaniel. The Cocker the Spaniel in there might have a little bit of feistiness, um, mm. I would say certainly. But again, they're a lovely breed in their own right. Um, what I would say is it's curious that it's only happening when grooming. So let's say if you were to not groom your dog, but run your hands all over him, very much like a vet would do in an examination, as it were. And if there's no problem, I would wonder if it's something to do with either the brushing or the technique you're using for the grooming. So let's say if it's regular grooming and they tend to have a nice kind of fluffy, curly coat, it's beautiful, but it, it is quite high maintenance in its can own way. It can get knotted. It can get very yeah. knotted. If you imagine trying to comb a toddler's hair and they've got knots in the hair, they're going to scream. <laughs> He's just doing the same thing. He's trying to maybe let you know that something's a bit uncomfortable. Okay. Now, as long as it's a gentle kind of just letting you know this is a little bit uncomfortable for one reason or another and that's okay but if there's any semblance of aggression or danger towards the person who's grooming him I would advise um, keeping yourself safe first and foremost Muzzle? Um, A muzzle is one option but Mm. what I would say is perhaps the best thing to do would be to visit a professional groomer kind of as a starting base if you can start from a good base where there's no knots in that coat um, nothing for it to really snag on and then you're just maintaining it then that's the best thing um, 
I think really if you could visit a professional groomer, give them a heads up that sometimes he gets a little bit snappy and maybe isn't the most comfortable because it's for their safety too to let them know. Um, and maybe just have a discussion with them about what way is going to be the easiest to maintain at home. So it might be clipping that hair just a little bit shorter. They still look incredibly cute. And for them, it's very functional as well. If they're more comfortable with that, then that's great. But then you have less to maintain at home and that minimises A, any kind of discomfort for your little dog, but B, it minimises any risk to you if he does tend to get a little bit kind of snappy and first and foremost safety is, is really up there yeah and the fact that he's only doing it yeah. when it's being groomed, groomed would lead exactly. you to believe it is he's just uncomfortable in some way exactly. okay we leave it there uh, Jane thank you for that have a lovely week and we'll chat mm-hmm. again next week that's Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group so that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock until then I'm Patricia Messenger good afternoon to celebrate our latest radio ratings C103 is dishing out free money. Free money. With C103 Cash Tracks. Sinead, from Mallow, you have just won 500 euro. Oh my God, I'm so happy. Thank you so much. Would you believe me if I told you that you're caller number 50? Oh my God, that's fantastic. <laughs> Any plans uh, for the money? Oh, I think I'll take a weekend away. C103 Cash Tracks. With Kavanaugh's, the new name for Ford in Mallow. For new and used car sales, visit Kavanaugh's.com. On the home of Cork's greatest hits. C103. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.